Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Valley of Graces, Healing Our Brokenness. Tonight, I'm going to present episode number five to you, and it is entitled, Woe is Me. What is self-pity? Self-pity is defined as an excessive absorption of one's own troubles. Usually with self, the person is so absorbed into gaining sympathy for their own troubles that they fail to see the entire situation for the way that it really is. Whether that means the person who was the offender or the other person who was the enabler slash codependent or doormat, as I was in my marriage. Since we are all broken, Usually both parties play a role as to why the situation got to the point that it did. Why is self-pity so bad? It keeps us focused on ourselves. Everyone, look at me. Look at how much I am suffering. Look at what he or she did to me. Extreme self-pity repels people from wanting to talk to us. Oh, no. Here comes so-and-so talking about their problems. They're going to start talking about everything that's wrong with them and what Sally, Sue, and Johnny did to them. Excessive self-pity becomes toxic because it becomes draining to even listen to. Self-pity makes us sign up to have competitions to see who has the worst pain. One thing about going through trials is that we can always find someone who is worse off than we are. It can also be tempting to get mad at someone because they don't have as many problems as we do. And even if they haven't had as many problems or as much trauma, because we are all broken, it means that we all have problems. They just might be different than the next person's. I've heard an old saying that goes, either we're in a trial we're about to enter a trial, or we're just coming out of a trial. And what God recently revealed to me is that excessive self-pity is spiritual. Literally three times within the last six months, starting in June, the devil tried seducing me with the spirit of excessive self-pity. It shocked me. And one of those times is when I was leaving the church, leaving out of the sanctuary, and I heard a voice saying to me, look at me, I'm really suffering. And I said to myself, the devil is a liar. I am not about to start up with that. The energy that came along with that is one of impulsivity and a strong urge to rattle off your mouth about what's going on or getting attention so that someone will see that you were suffering. It was spiritual at its finest. I had a conversation with a good friend of mine lately, and she suggested that I write a blog post on self-pity. And wouldn't you know, the devil got busy and started attacking me with the spirit of self-pity and impulsivity to want me to start rattling off at the mouth again. I had to rebuke it literally in the name of Jesus. And if the people aren't Christians, we get mad because we feel that they aren't Christians, but look at how much more we are suffering than they are. In scripture, we're told that God reigns on the just and the unjust. 
This means we don't get a chance to pick who gets what problem. Some of our problems are self-inflicted because of the lack of following through with how the scripture tells us to handle things, especially when it comes to sin. This is what I realized with the recent trial that I had to go through. I must remind myself that God's laws are there for a reason. And he knows when we get in over our head and relationships and friendships. And thus, that is why he has boundaries for handling sin in the church. Instead of us thinking that we can save someone or be the Holy Spirit for someone. The devil gets us caught up in self-pity even over other people's financial status or their material belongings. Well, I just don't understand why he or she has this or that. This really didn't work. They really didn't work that hard. Their parents helped them out anyway. If we really want what other Christians have, we can ask God for it. If you delight yourselves in me, I will give you desires of your heart, is what God tells us in scripture. For some of us, God may not grant our desires because he cares more about us serving him, the status of our hearts, and just the status of our spiritual walk in general, rather than us getting caught up in the latest fashions, the sweetest ride, or how much shiplap that we can put in our house. Some of us just can't handle it, and Ahab couldn't. Ahab's spirit of self-pity came in because of three different things. His theory of entitlement as being king. Number two was the location of his home. Number three was the fact that he had money to buy whatever it was he wanted. I'm going to read from 1 Kings 21 as far as the whole entire situation that took place with Ahab, Naboth, and Jezreel. Sometime later, there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel, close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard to use for a vegetable garden, since it is close to my palace. In exchange, I will give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I will pay you whatever it is worth. But Naboth replied, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home, sullen and angry, because Naboth the Jezreelite had said, I would not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered her, because I said to Naboth, the Jezreelite, sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I will give you another vineyard in its place. But he said, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up and eat. Cheer up. I'll get you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name placed his seal on them and sent them to the elders and nobles who lived in Naboth's city with him. And those letters she wrote, proclaim a day of fasting and seat Naboth in a prominent place among the people. 
but seat two scoundrels opposite him and have them bring charges that he has cursed both God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. So the elders and the nobles who lived in Naboth's city did as Jezebel directed in the letters she had written to them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth in a prominent place among the people. Then two scoundrels came and sat opposite him and brought charges against Naboth before the people, saying, Naboth has cursed both God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, get up. Take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, that he refused to sell you. He's no longer alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up and went down to take possession of Naboth's vineyard. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who runs in Samaria. He is now in Naboth's vineyard, where he's gone to take possession of it. Say to him, this is what the Lord says. Have you not murdered a man and seized his property? Then say to him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where dogs licked up Naboth's blood, dogs will lick up your blood. Yes, yours. Ahab said to Elijah, so you found me, my enemy. I have found you, he answered, because you have sold yourself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord. He says, I am going to bring disaster on you. I will wipe out your descendants and cut off from Ahab every last male in Israel, slave or free. I will make your house like that of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, and that of Baasha, son of Ahijah, because you have aroused my anger and have caused Israel to sin. And also concerning Jezebel, the Lord says, Dogs will devour Jezebel by the wall of Jezreel. Dogs will eat those belongings to Ahab who die in the city, and the birds will feed on those who die in the country. There was never anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, urged on by Jezebel, his wife. He behaved in a vileless manner by going after idols, like the Amorites the Lord drove out before Israel. When Ahab heard those words, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and fasted. He lay in sackcloth and went around meekly. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you noticed how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself, I will not bring disaster in this day but I will bring it on his house in the days of his son. Ahab and Jezebel were forced to be reckoned with. This situation went so wrong because Ahab acted like a child with a toy about the situation of the vineyard. We are all guilty of this. James 1, 12 through 20 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted with evil, 
nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Freedom from self-pity involves doing five different things. The first one is choice of being a victor over the victim. Yes, so-and-so did this or that. However, I choose to realize the part I played and to move on. Number two, is the responsibility to figure out what to do now that this has happened. Whether that means I need to have extensive therapy for myself or whatever it is I need to do in order to get myself moving out of victim mode. Number three is processing our emotions. A lot of times, Emotions get stuck or either we refuse to feel the emotions, namely anger. And when that gets stuck or either we try to subside it, it makes all kind of different crazy things happen with our bodies, especially if we've had trauma, we end up having an issue with regulating our emotions. Number four would be giving ourselves grace and sympathy. Realizing that whatever happened to us could happen to anyone, the difference is what we choose to do with what happened. And number five, it is part of the process of grief, and when I say referring to self-pity, but we should not overly focus on how much we have, uh, how much we were a fool to have had this to happen to us. That is something that was able to resonate with you tonight on this lesson of woe is me, the sin of self-pity. Have a blessed night in the Lord. Thank you. There's no sense in trying to do it on my own. Store for me if I didn't give up.
Thank you. 